Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tats Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Jeff McCurdy. He's a national training manager at Castagra, a speaker and a roof training expert. So Jeff, welcome, welcome, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, we share an interesting history with this podcast because you were the first interview guest I've ever had on this, this show. So that's right. I vaguely remember it. You know, take me back, Jeff. You know, what do you remember that first interview? I remember being nervous because I hadn't done any, uh, been interviewed on any podcasts uh, at that point. And uh, you'd ask me kind of, what's something that you want to get out there to people? And uh, something that I I believed strongly in at that time and still do is uh, for contractors to do a lot of their own testing and not just trust everything that's on a spec sheet because those are done in labs and to put those things into real life situations and see how a product performs. So I think we talked a lot about that. Yeah. One of the things that was very helpful, you said you were, you know, early to the the interview side of it, but what people may not know is that you had experience, you know, creating podcasts, which, which you were very uh, kind to, to extend some kind words as I was, you know, getting the, the first podcast off the ground. Obviously, I'm not a professional podcaster, but I had a few uh, trials and uh, different topics, uh, still kind of writing on a children's one as well. So all behind the scenes. So it was my first time being on the microphone. Yeah, I I think I've, I've always known you as someone that isn't afraid to like put yourself out there on something new. Is that something that you've always had with you or is that more recent? I think so. I think I, I would always have been willing to do that. I mean, if you look at my career, it, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's how to get from A to Z in 75 points without many other letters between there either. So not always because I wanted to go out and try new things, but you avail yourself of the opportunities that are around you. And uh, so I think it was maybe more uh, nature or nurture kind of pushing me that way. But yeah, I enjoy trying new things and putting myself out there. Now I get to do it in a more fun way that actually coincides with some career growth rather than just being, hey, learn how to do this or don't eat next week. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now that you sort of piqued people's curiosity with all the 75 things, um, <laughs> can you highlight just a few of them so people can get a sense of you know, your journey and, and some of the, the things that you were involved in? Sure. So I've been in the roofing industry since I was probably about 11 or 12. My father a bunch of my uncles, it was all contractors, you know, I think a, a lot of people will, will, especially my age will relate to this, that uh, if, if your family didn't attend colleges, you were going to have a family that was full of tradesmen. And there wasn't a lot back then, anyhow, of people that attended college with the idea of then bettering the trades or anything that way. It was, you're not going to college, here's a hammer, get to work. So that was the majority of my family. So my uncles and everything that way. So throughout this byline of my career, kind of going ups and downs, 
I've always done side work in the trades, uh, roofing, roof coatings, a lot of framing, drywall hanging, and uh, my absolute favorite job site cleanup. Oh boy, what fun that is. So that's always been there. And it doesn't really show well on the resume because these have been jobs where get hired for a project and then I wouldn't be working with them for another three or four months. But it was always good extra money when I was trying to build a career that actually paid me something. And then that career that I was trying to build ended up being more sales than really anything else. But it was a lot of uh, more technical sales. So I represented a uh, plumbing manufacturer for a while. And then from there, ended up with uh, one of the world's largest pump, largest pump companies. And so you got to learn a lot of this uh, technical stuff that I was able to bring back to the uh, the coding side of things and say, hey, you know, I learned this about that. Would this help any? And of course, at that time, my uncles are going, no, I don't think so. That has nothing to do with we just pour the product on the roof. That's all we do. Yeah, for sure. And then through all this, I mean, you, you know, you've shared in, in other ways, but you've gone through, you've gone through, through some adversity. Sure. Yeah. We, um, yeah, like, uh, like a lot of people, we were over mortgaged in the 2007, 2008 times and, uh, lost everything. I mean, uh, and it wasn't just a all at once. It was like, losing something else every month almost on the month just as like a reminder and digging the knife in it was like i don't think i have anything else but somehow i'm losing something else every month so you know first it was the house and uh, that one we we recovered from pretty well but then it was the loss of jobs so the plumbing company i was working for in an attempt to stay solvent eliminated my role across the entire country and that was a time where you'd go to go to look for a job and there would be five or six hundred people in line ahead of you all wearing the same suit and with a resume that looked just as good, if not better than yours. So it was very discouraging for a while. And uh, coincidentally, I ran out of time on my car at the time about a week after I'd gotten a job but I didn't have enough money to pay the minimum to keep the car. So a week after I got finally got a really great job too, they came and repossessed my car. And so I had to call my boss and say, Hey, um, how do you feel about doing a company car? I'd actually kind of insisted, no, I don't want a company car. I don't have anywhere to park. I already have a car and thought that I'd be able to get a payment in and get caught up. And uh, so then I had to go back on that. Luckily, they were really cool about it. And a lot of the other guys had company cars. So it wasn't a, a big deal. But I did get to drive a uh, tiny little worst rental car I've ever had for about a month and a half, because that's how long it took to get the company car. I was yeah. greatly appreciative to get my sedan. But we recovered pretty well from all that. Uh, my wife and I are just very resilient. So actually, find that we enjoy a lot of the lean times better than we do the fat times because it kind of with your back up against the wall, there's nowhere to go and it's time to fight and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. You said, well, not everyone to say it's fun, but tell me about that. What was your number one lesson on uh, moving through that and, and surpassed it? So in, in the 2007, 2008 thing, I was still reliant on uh, on other companies and corporate gigs and things that way to bail me out. What I started to realize at that point was I, 
I really wanted to get into something entrepreneurial and sink or swim on my own. So I spent uh, several years, almost a decade with the pump company and uh, banked some money. And then uh, then I bought in, got my entrepreneurial shot and owned a construction company. I did not choose the best partner. I didn't vet the process well. And like I said, sink or sink or swim on my own accord. And I did. I sunk rather rapidly on my own accord, nearly lost everything again. But it wasn't as scary the second time because we knew it took us from the time we started losing everything to the time that we had rebuilt to better than before was a matter of five years. So when you know that you're capable of rebuilding everything that you own in a matter of only five years, it's not as scary to go out and risk it once again. And uh, so we nearly lost everything again. And But being an owner really gave me a lot of perspectives that 20 years of applying coatings and, and doing different types of roofing and everything that way can only give you so much because you're not looking at things from an owner's standpoint. Being the owner is what taught me how to read spec sheets, what taught me how to read uh, specifications, the whole long page, the three-parters, and how to actually apply them, how to work directly with the manufacturers to maximize the advantage that they can be for you, all of that. So even though I wasn't great at running a business, and there, there's a much deeper story there, but I'll just say, long story short, I was not great at running a business, but what I ended up being really good at was the the deep tech side of the coatings industry. And that gave me the, the ability to, as soon as that company folded, I became the director of commercial roofing at San Diego Roofing. And that was this just big, gigantic opportunity where I had every resource you could imagine at my disposal. And you've met Marcelo as well. And his big thing from day one was, if you need something, buy it. And so went from really kind of scraping nickels together to try to get the tools to do a job properly to having state of the art equipment and having the training to teach my guys how to do these just absolutely amazing coatings projects. So we just we crushed it in the hospitality industry. And that really gave me a, a good eye for even making roof coatings aesthetically pleasing because most of the time we don't care what does a roof coating need to be it needs to be white and reflective and waterproof but in the hospitality industry you get a lot of call for i don't want the 10th story to look out over the fifth story roof and have it snow blind them or even look like a roof so we did a lot of camouflaging and a lot of blending colors in and that was really cool Fortunately, but it didn't last long because we had a lifestyle change and took custody of our uh, then nine-year-old niece. Uh, she's almost 15 now, so it's been a while. It just wasn't conducive for me to be in the office 60 hours a week or in the field 60 hours a week anymore. But with the experience of being an owner and then the experience of helping to run a much better run company gave me the experience I needed to start a consulting business, which is where, well, I guess we met each other before then, but it's where we really started working together more closely when, when I was uh, starting to do some consulting. So it's one of those things I, I talk about a lot. I, I could not give a kid a roadmap and say, here, here's how you follow my career to end up where I'm at. <laughs> hey, do you, do you think all the, I mean, some people might look at it and say, hey, unfocused, but another person might say, 
hey, that taught you a lot of things about, you know, what you liked and what you didn't like. I mean, what's your view on this? I think if I had gone from age 18 with a plan, I could probably have made more money and had a steadier career that more dependable. I've had a lot of feast and a lot of famine in my career, but I'm somebody that's well suited to that lifestyle. And a lot of people just aren't well suited to dealing with, oh, okay, we don't go to restaurants for the next eight months. Uh, we eat spaghetti for eight months straight because that's what we need to get, do to dig ourselves out of this hole we found ourselves in. So for me, I don't think it was a lack of focus. It was just always looking for being a, a, a high school and a college dropout, trying to find my way to feed my family and give my family the things that I wanted them to have that when I was growing up, I was taught the only way to give my family the things I want my family to have was to get a four-year degree and work for a big company. And there was no other chance. And so for me, I, I needed to prove that wrong. And so I took a lot of chances. If I were to encourage somebody younger than me now, I would say, look, get into trade school as early as you can. Find a trade that you enjoy doing and don't spend so many times. I've had to start over a bunch of times in my career. And, you know, if you find that you kind of have a natural thing, like roof coatings was a natural thing for me. And I have spent more than 20 years trying to avoid ever making a career in roof coatings. And now I love it. But when I finally accepted my fate and realized this is where I belong and I'm good at this, I can contribute to this industry in a meaningful way. It's become a much more natural fit. But this whole time where I was trying to fight it, it just kept pulling me back in. And so I, I think uh, I would not encourage somebody to have as many uh, stops and starts in their careers I've had, but it, it has been a lot of fun for me. Yeah, fun is a, a very good thing. So Jeff, so one of the things, I mean, I, I, I noticed on my end, just working so closely with you is that you've had this thing about training and, and wanting to help the next generation or, or people improve. How did that develop for you in your head? I know kind of your sure. story, but like, how did it sort of develop and, and where you are now? It's funny because uh, especially when you're in your low times, you do a lot more thinking about how did I get here? When you're in your high times and you're eating caviar and lobster, you never stop and really think, how did I get here? You're just enjoying being there, right? But when you're uh, eating ramen for the 105th day in a row, you spend a lot of time thinking, how did I get here? And one of the really primary contributors to those low spots in my career was a lack of training in the trades and a lack of opportunity to learn the trades. You know, I'd never even heard of a trade school uh, by the time I started my career in the trades. When I used to ask about training, people say, you know, there's no training, you figure it out. And, you know, these are guys that really didn't have anything figured out that are telling you to go figure it out. And maybe there's some subtext to that, figure it out and then report back to me when you do, because I still haven't figured anything out. Uh, so it really just became something that I, I saw as this byline throughout my career that if training were better and if more training opportunities existed, this career could have probably been an A to B course or maybe an A through uh, D, but following the letters in the right order. And um, then I think about the you know trials and tribulations we've gone through and the fact that not everybody 
is cut out for you know downsizing to a 600 square foot house when you from a 2000 square foot house and things like that but a lot of people just aren't cut out for that so how do we avoid that and one of the things is better training when people are trained well at their career and in their position they don't have as many struggles and they really feel better able to do things. I had to take a lot of risks and try out basically invent techniques because I didn't know where to find training on doing anything. And uh, it's not all of those. I think I've told you before, but I, I, I've learned most of my lessons through failure. And a few times I've learned from something actually working out the first time I tried it. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've sort of, you know, gotten the training program off the ground now, what did you learn? I mean, you've you've had hundreds of contractors go through the training. You've gotten a ton of feedback on it. But what, what were some of the key things you learned about sort of building that up? One big thing was, you know, starting a training program from scratch was pretty daunting. Luckily, I'd been through probably a dozen or so other companies certified applicator programs. So I didn't have to start just from an idea and go, okay, what can this be? I'd been through a lot of these trainings. Now, one thing that I remembered as I sat through most of those trainings is they all sucked. And I didn't want to be associated with a training program that sucked. I wanted it to be as interesting as having to learn new techniques. You know, it's, it's dry material, but I wanted to make it as good as it could be. And so one of the first things I started with was really going through all of my old training materials and going, is there any reason for this? Does somebody who's going to successfully apply our product need to know the history of gypsum-based products? Probably not. <laughs> Do they really care that the formulation for our product was invented 30 years ago? Probably not. What they want to know is, how do I apply this in a way that my customer is not going to call me back a month later and say, hey, that roof you did for me leaks. So we got rid of a lot of the crap. And that was important. It was also, though, you know, I think you'll recall, I spent probably a quarter of a year going, it's not good enough yet. It's not good enough yet. It's not good enough yet. And uh, that was another lesson. If I were to do it over again, I would have just launched it where it was and taken notes and taken the constructive feedback. I mean, we work in, in an industry with uh, people that are not afraid to speak their mind. And we've gotten a lot of uh, constructive criticism <laughs> throughout the years of this. I, we've now had well over 600 contractors come through the training program. I would say even at this stage doing that, two to three times a week. It's rare that a month goes by without adding something, changing something, or improving a slide, clarifying something, something that way. So even when you're done with your product 1.0, it's always going to be an evolution. And I think had I had that mindset originally, I wouldn't have been so afraid to launch the first one. And I think the first one would have gotten better a lot faster if we'd launched earlier, because that feedback and uh, sometimes not even direct feedback, but just blank stares coming at you from across the country on Zoom lets you know, wow, the information on this slide is really not hitting home. I need to make some changes, figure out why that is. So I, I think if anybody's kind of reluctant on launching a training program or anything that way, my best advice would be start it. 
It, it can always get better, but nobody's learning a darn thing from you until you start teaching. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of good information there. Now, you know, you, you talk about training. This is training for, you know, roof coatings and stuff like that. What other aspects of trainings you see out there that are are critical? Now, not just this uh, specific pro- uh, program for uh, a type of product, but like what, what other areas you think, you know, are maybe overlooked or maybe not as emphasized? One big thing that companies really miss is training on their company culture and the opportunities that are available at their company from the ground level. I was just on a project last week that really exemplified the sort of us versus them mentality that exists a lot in the trades still. So you've got your managers and your foremen, that's the us in the company. And then you've got your laborers and that's the them. And I just think that's such a huge missed opportunity because if you bring your labor force into the fold, introduce them to the company culture, these can be your future leaders, but they're just such a disconnect and people uh, really don't seem to still to this day to be that interested in bringing people from the labor force up into the office and things that way. So I think uh, training on the company culture, training that there are opportunities to grow, especially nowadays, Every contractor you talk to will talk about the biggest pain point right now is the labor shortage. And across the board, every contractor I talk to is feeling that pain point. And yet we're still seeing people treating their labor force like garbage. I go, well, you're telling me that you're having a hard time recruiting and you wish you could recruit better, yet you don't even let your uh, labor force use the same restroom that your office employees use. Uh, how does that make them feel and what sort of loyalty does that make them feel like they should show toward you? Some other companies, and uh, I think it's okay to give a shout out, like one of my favorite companies in this regard is Roofing and Waterproofing out in Orange County. These guys do a great job at every level. Most of the guys that are promoted are coming from their level, their labor force. Their labor force gets involved in all of their uh, charitable activities, everything that way. They get highlighted. Charles actually goes to lunch with them things that way. And it makes them feel like they are a part of this family. There's no us versus them with the office or the management staff compared to the labor staff there. And as a result, I don't know their exact numbers, but I do know uh, a couple of years ago talking with Charles and he said they have very, very low turnover. And it's not some magic pill that you give your employees to make them loyal to you. It's just treat them like human beings and uh, give them a reason to want to be loyal to your company and they'll stick around. And, uh, you know, the companies that do this well never really seem to participate in labor shortages or anything that way. Yeah, very good point. Now, Jeff, I mean, you know, we we talked a lot about the training. We talked about the, the, the culture side of the training. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to cover before we sort of seal off the uh, the recap episode after <laughs> all these episodes? Well, I wanted to thank you for pushing me out of my uh, out of my comfort zone. You encouraged me and uh, actually even helped me with a speaking coach to go out and pr- do my first uh, presentation at Western Roofing Expo this year. And uh, it was on the topic that we're on already. It was uh, creating and developing profitable 
training programs. They uh, got into a lot of the why you should and what companies can get out of that. And uh, it was it was just a, a great opportunity. It gave me the bug. Now I want to get on the speaking circuit and uh, and do a lot more of this. So uh, I wanted to just thank you for that opportunity. It was so much fun and uh, connected me with a lot of great people as well. Yeah, Jeff, I, I want to thank you because, you know, you deserve all the credit. I mean, I, I can be supportive, but, you know, I, I try to be supportive to whoever I run into and it, very, very few people actually do the work, right? Day in and day out, right? right. It's it's fine to say a few things, but I, I think whoever does the work day in and day out deserves all the credit because, you know, they have something and you have something that is rare, which is the motivation, right? Yeah. We have all this information available, but what's the one thing we want to see in people is, is the motivation to actually do it. So you have That's that true. and I, I continually I'm excited to see where you're going to go with this. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's a bright future from here. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.